Ephesians chapter 1. Why don't you get your Bibles out? If you don't have a Bible, just grab the one in front of you there on the pew rack. Turn to page 1079. Obviously, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper here in a few moments together. Page 1079. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. We love you. We're grateful for you. And just a word of uh, praise uh, to God for uh, the Harrison County School Board and the Superintendent Mitchell King. Amen. I know many of you were praying this weekend and uh, the federal judge upheld the, guess what? There's still boys and still girls and they had to remain that way. Praise God. Praise God. So uh, they're always saying Mississippi's last in everything. Well, I'm glad. Praise the Lord. Let's stay that way. I like it. So last week as we uh, peered into the verses, this section beginning in verse 3, I wanted you to see a picture of being born into a broken world like being in, trapped in an environment where there was only mirrors, and so all we could see is reflections of others and reflections of ourselves, and so that's the only thing that we had to base anything on. And if you just imagine what that would be like, you'd realize very quickly how miserable that existence would be because we would have nothing to... to uh, the only thing we could compare anything to would be ourselves and other people, and it just creates this environment of doom. It creates an environment of doom, and there are so many people today that still live in that world. Their whole world exists as if we're all they are, and so what happens is it breeds all sorts of insecurities and all sorts of uh, struggles, and so as we keep that picture, we're going to move into the second part of this first section. So let's pray and ask God to help us as we imagine what he might say to us today. Father, thank you for this moment that you've given us before your word. We receive it as a perfect gift. It's inerrant. It's, it's spectacular. It's our greatest earthly possession. You have spoken this to us because you love us. You want us to know the truth. You give us as much as we can handle. In your word, and we thank you for that, Lord. And you allude to things that we cannot handle just so that we know that they exist. And so when we read your word, Lord, it expands our consciousness so far beyond anything else in this world. And we are so grateful, so grateful to have it. And this morning we celebrate this opportunity. Please give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. We promise to give you all the glory for what you do in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you think about this, uh, this existence of only reflections, then what happens is to not be chosen is to be rejected. In other words, if we have no concept of being chosen, the only other alternative is to be rejected. 
we automatically see all of us in the room know what it's like to be rejected. Everyone knows what it's like to be rejected on some level, different levels, many levels. And it's simply because all you, have, you can't live in this world and not experience that, right? And so if we live in this broken world and all we can see is this broken world, what happens is we begin to find ourselves uh, in a pattern of rejection. And see, what happens is it ca- rejection carries a message of a lack of value, of no worth, that I'm not useful, that I'm, I'm good for nothing. And what makes rejection such an extraordinary pain, if you ever thought about this, that rejection is different from physical pain in that when you suffer physical pain, at some point if the physical pain goes away, you have a memory of the physical pain, but you don't feel the physical pain. You just remember that you did. Rejection, on the other hand, is very different. You feel pain in the moment of rejection, but you also relive the pain every time you remember the rejection. You ever thought about that? So it's extraordinarily painful. And so what do we do? Because we, we, we long for acceptance. We hate to be rejected. It's so devastating to us. So we adjust our lives around protecting ourselves from being rejected. So maybe we, we begin to, to make decisions based on avoiding rejection. So there are certain jobs that we apply for and certain jobs that we don't, certain people we befriend, certain people that we don't. All in an attempt to elude rejection, to, to protect ourselves from any risk. We don't attempt new things for fear of failure and possible rejection. As a result, we live in relative safety and mediocrity because we think that that's better than rejection. Or we go to the other extreme, don't we? See, some of you in the room, you're determined to win at everything, to prove to somebody that you're good enough, beautiful enough, valuable enough, worthy enough. And so what happens is you begin to live based on your last accomplishment, and what you know is you're exhausted because there's no rest in that. You, you, you'll work until you're first in the class, till you're head of the organization, till you're the most respected person in the group or the room. And there's never happiness. Because value is fleeting, because it's only as good as the last accomplishment. And so you're constantly having to recreate and repurpose yourself for value. There's no peace, no security. But then in the midst of this world of rejection comes this news. And what I said last week is that as Paul is is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words, this one sentence that's 202 words long, imagine that. One continual sentence. He's so excited. You can hear the, I found out in second service, they're called party. What are they called? Party puffers? No, I don't even remember what they were. You know, the things you blow and it goes at the party, right? You can, you can, the confetti's falling, the balloons are falling, everybody's blowing those party things, whatever they are. And because the news is so 
extravagant, so unbelievable. You know, I, I imagine like this crowd of people in the auditorium to see Oprah Winfrey and she announces that every single person has won a new car and they all go ballistic. Well, I mean, you know, that's pretty good. But that, hasn't, that doesn't even compare to this. Like, this, this is newsworthy of just going ballistic over, just going crazy, like just shouting and screaming and yelling and, and, and just worshiping. This news, that here's the news, that behind the mirrors, there's been a mystery. They've always been there, but behind the mirrors are windows. And you can pull the mirrors down, and there's windows, and you can open the windows, and you can see out into this vast new reality that we never knew was there. That's what the news is. See, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3. Who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Pastor Matt said. Listen, he chose us before the foundation of the world. What in the world? To be blameless. He predestined us to adoption. This is crazy news. And here's what happens. We go from this world of only having the ability to compare ourselves and to find our worth based on other people and their reaction to us and our performance therein and so on and so forth. We look out this window and when we realize that, wait a minute, hold on, game changer. Before people decided whether or not you were good enough for them, God already decided that he wanted to bring you into his family and make you his son or daughter. What? See, now, now, now understand, what happens here is it doesn't protect us from being rejected because we're all born into this world of mirrors. But what happens is the rejection begins to melt off in the reality of what we're seeing through these windows that the gospel brings news that, wait a minute, regardless of what anybody or everybody thinks, the most important person in the universe thinks quite differently. What a game-changing revelation. So basically, if you have your listening guide, for the Christian, our story is not a story of rejection. It's a story of being chosen. That's our story. We didn't know that until we, until we could see. We didn't know that until God gave us eyes, until he revealed this mystery. God wants us to live from this reality that we are chosen. We are adopted. So here's what he does. He tells us the rest of the story. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I, I promise you, I promise you, if we wouldn't have been celebrating the Lord's Supper today because I wasn't sure, I thought, hmm, I, I don't know, I might, I might be pushing the envelope too far. 
I was literally going to hand every single one of you one of these party blowers on the door to come in. I mean, we're going to have a a party up in this place. Seriously. And then I read the verse, and y'all just all start blowing them. I think that's a great way to reverence what's just being said here. Verse 7 is telling us that our acceptance wasn't just a great risk to his life. It was at the cost of his life. Think about this for a second. In order to actively live in the riches of relationship with God, something needed to happen. We, we needed to be set free. Freedom is a prerequisite to genuine relationship. I don't know if you've ever realized this before. Freedom is a prerequisite to genuine relationship with God. So at our core, we all long to be free. The problem is, see, everyone longs to be free. The problem is we have a broken idea of what freedom is. We don't understand freedom. We have a confused idea about this. We think the opposite of freedom is restriction. That's not true. The opposite of freedom is destruction. The opposite of freedom is death. That's the opposite of freedom, not restriction. Now, now think about this. Our lives pre-Christ are an example of what happens when we have the freedom to do whatever we want. See, that freedom worked out so good that we, we came to the place where we realized we needed a Savior, and that was the only way to get out of the predicament we were in. Now, does that sound like freedom? That's not freedom. See, we don't need restrictions because rules can't fix us. That's why... It... No. No. What good are rules? We can't follow them. We know that. That's what the law taught us in the Old Testament, that we need something infinitely better. That won't work. All that does is reveal our inability. So so Paul comes along and he says, by his blood, he has released us from the curse of the law, from the compulsion of sin, from the lordship of the unseen powers of the heavenly places, from lies that have ensnared our mind and our heart, that we were owned by sin with no hope of recovery, and Jesus paid our debt to purchase our lives. So, (laughs) man, maybe we should have got the party blowers for right here. We're worth Jesus to God. What? Think about this. That's what Paul's saying in verse 7. Like, God's looking at this situation. He's going, okay, here they are. But here's what's going to cost to get them to here. I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Redeemed us through his blood. Look at the second half. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
See, we often think of redemption in the context of from. So I want you to just, I want, I want this to change in your heart this morning. I don't want you to think of redemption only in the terms of from. Don't think of redemption as I've been redeemed from only. That's only a portion of it. I want you to think of redemption as I've been redeemed for. For. From for. If you just redeemed from, that's only half the story. Look, Titus chapter 2, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, what? For, for, a people, for, his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, for something. Forgiveness is not just another word for redemption or of redemption. That's not what it is. This forgiveness is all about restoration of relationship, for relationship. We were redeemed for what? For relationship. And you say, well, wait a minute. Didn't the Bible just say for good works? No, it didn't. It said for relationship that then leads to good works. There's no good works apart from relationship. It's the relationship that's the basis of everything. So think about this. This is what I need you to understand. See, you can be redeemed from and not for. And that's not what the Bible's talking about. In other words, somebody could come in, could, someone could come into a prison, overtake the guards, unlock all the cells, and let everybody go. So you've been redeemed from prison. End of the story. There's no ongoing relationship with the person who freed you. He just lets you go, right? So they're, they're redeemed from prison, and that's it. Is that what we are? Oh, not at all. God's forgiveness is about establishing an ongoing relationship with released captives. See, he releases us for the opportunity, for the ability, for us to be in relationship with him. So it's for something, redeemed for Look at the end of verse 8 and verse 9. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You can hear it. Can't you hear them? They're blowing. I mean, woo-wee. The, the confetti's falling. We're celebrating. This life has so much pain, so much injustice everywhere you look. There's violence, there's hatred, there's anger, there's suffering, there's sickness, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's depression. Nothing in this world works as it should. So many people are hurting. So many reasons why. And we're not immune to any of those situations, are we? No. We've been enlightened. See, we still walk amongst the people. We still work amongst the people. We still live amongst the people who are still, all they can see is reflections. That's all they can see. But we've been enlightened. We've heard the news. We looked out the window and saw this reality that he chose us before the foundation of the world, that he adopted us into his family as sons and daughters. He redeemed us with his own blood. 
We know how God feels about us. We know where we stand with Him. We know where the story is going. So we don't freak out when things get tough. We don't panic when the unexpected happens. Because we know that our Heavenly Father loves us. Because we see in these verses how God is pulling all things together. That He's got a purpose and a plan, right? And so when life jerks the rug out from underneath you, when you find yourself baffled and bewildered, your heart is shattered, your, the emotional toll is, feels too heavy. All I can do is, is tell you what I do. That's all I can do. But I always do the same thing. And I've shared this with you over and over and over and over. I simply ask two questions. I just remind myself, does God love me? Does God love me? I answer that question and then I ask this question. Can God fail? I've never encountered a situation that that didn't solve. See, Paul goes on making known to us the mystery of his will. See, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in himself, things in heaven and things on earth. See, God's saying, I'm uniting all things in Christ. I'm bringing the world back to where it's supposed to be. I will do away with death. He says, death will die. I will let decay decay. I will let disunity disunify. I will make sickness terminally ill. I will violate violence. I will destroy destruction. I will bring the world back to what it was meant to be. I'm telling you, this window is unreal when you see what's out there. That in the gospel, God has made known to us the mystery of history. Because before we can see beyond this world, it just looks like a bunch of chaos that's careening out of control. When you turn your television on, if you have to, you watch the news because you have to. And even if the federal judge wouldn't have upheld the Harrison County School policy or any other 
thing that's going on around us. When it seems like it's all going wrong, and when you get yourself all worked up, you get all worked up about all these things and how bad it all is and all this and all that, just take a deep breath. Read verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Some of you, listen, you got a problem, and I'm going to solve your problem for you right now. Well, at least I'm going to give you an opportunity to solve it. You need to go home because you know you got a problem. And this is how we know you have a problem. See, we're not in your house with you all day when you're watching the news. But we see your dill pickle countenance, so we know that's what you're doing. And you're all bent out of shape about everything all the time. So let me just help you. Why don't you get a, a three-by-five card, a piece of paper, fold it like a TP or something, and just, just, just try it. I want you to write Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, just verse 11. Just write verse 11 on that and hang it over your television. And then watch all the stinking news you want. Get yourself all tangled up as much as you want. But just remember, make sure that you, you hear everything in context of what is. Because if you go to bed every night, and the last thing you think about is in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things together according to the counsel of his will. A lot of your anxiety is going to melt away. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Can you believe this? Not... It's not, it's not primarily that we're getting an inheritance, although we are, which is unbelievable and it's amazing. And it's, but it's, that's not even the primary good news of these two verses. The primary good news here is that not only that we're getting an inheritance, but better than that, that we are His inheritance. Now, how is that better? Oh, it is better. Because God's saying, when I bring the whole universe together, mended under Christ, you are going to be my prized possession. See, when the clock runs out of time in this life and on this broken situation we're in right now, and everything comes under the headship of Christ. We, his children, his adopted sons and daughters. Think of it as we're going to be on, the, on his mantle in his living room. In other words, sanctification that's going on in our lives right now. It means to grow in the likeness of Christ, but it also means, it's two meanings, it also means to be set apart for a special purpose. It's like something that you set in a prominent place so that 
Nobody touches it or breaks it or harms it because it's very valuable. We are his inheritance. That's what these verses are saying. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until, until the, we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, to be sealed, it's like to be branded or to, to be tattooed. It's, it's this permanent mark that can never be undone. And isn't it interesting that last week when we worked through the first part of this passage, and so many of you, when you work through it on your own, you get all bent out of shape about being chosen. I got on your tail a little bit last week. Well, let me get back on it. Oh, we're chosen. Does that mean we didn't choose him? What does it mean? What a, well, why don't you just read your Bible? Let's read verse 13 together, okay? Come on, let's get our pencils out and underline some stuff. Verse 13. In him, you, circle you also. When you, circle you, heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you, circle you, believed in him. Do you feel better now? See? Two things that seem totally opposite can be true at the same time. No problem. It's always been that way. Hear this news. Look through the window. These verses are meant to, to just change the way we approach and see things and look at things and experience things. See, imagine two people, two people given the same job. Maybe it's a difficult job. Same job, two people given the same job by the same person, and they're present when the person gives them the job. Okay, so two people in a room. Guy walks in the room, says the person number one. First of all, he says, here's the job to both of them. Then he says to person number one, I'm going to pay you $20,000 a year to do this job. He says, okay, great. Thank you. Then he looks at person number two and he says, now I'm going to pay you $20 million to do this job. He gets the party blower out and starts going, burr, 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 right? But what's Fred doing over here in, in, in number one? What? Now, how does that information change the way those two people do that job? Hmm? I mean, it's utterly, completely different, isn't it? See, the first guy, he, every day for him is a bad day. And if anything doesn't go his way, he's pouting and complaining and whining and carrying on and always moaning and groaning. And, but number two, he don't ever have a bad day. Son, everything goes wrong. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't. He's just waiting on my paycheck, waiting on my. I mean, he's getting $20 million. He don't care. Everybody does it wrong. He don't care. Everything's going bad. He don't care. What about you? What about you? Which one of those two people does your life look more like? See, see. $20 million, what's that compared to your inheritance? 
But we moan and groan and complain and whine. Maybe if we really got this, we'd pass out party blowers at funerals of our brothers and sisters, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? I'm just saying, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Patrick Carnes, great name but no relation to me, is the foremost expert in addiction and addiction science and addiction healing and so on and so forth. And so everyone in the world looks to him for for wisdom and how to solve all these problems that our society is facing, whether it's drugs or sex or people-pleasing or anything. And he says that at the core of all destructive, addictive behavior, the core of all of it, regardless of, of where, what it is, is the feeling of being unlovable. we look out the window and we see he came for me he redeemed me he adopted me he chose me he made me his inheritance he delighted to do that and he placed a seal upon me I will be his forever and ever for all eternity and nothing and no one can ever do anything to stop that. Yeah. No one in Christ, no one who's ever looked out that window should ever struggle with feeling unlovable again. You might feel unlovable because you got tangled up, you know, with people in the mirrors. But then you always know where to run and look. And it should, it should slay that dragon, right? Like whenever you feel unlovable, just run to the window. Look out the window. Remember the reality of what is. That this that we see with our human eyes is... not it that the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will loves me he loves me he loves me which is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper because it's, this is an opportunity for us to be reminded that's why God commands us to do this he wants us to remind ourselves and be reminded of how much he loves us he wants us to Celebrate the Lord's table and look out the window. And so let's remember a few things that believers are commanded to celebrate this in a very specific way. And we're warned with some of the most harsh warnings in Scripture about approaching this time 
in an unworthy manner. So we take careful table reflection, meaning that what we're about to do represents the fact of the price that was paid for us and what was accomplished in the payment of that price. And then we take not just table reflection, but self-inspection. We, we say in light of what God did, the price God paid, and all that God accomplished, who does that make me? What does that call me to? And where am I in relation to that? And so it's very important that we repent of all areas of our life where we stray from the gospel. And we say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've accomplished. Thank you for the price you've paid. Thank you so much. And so that's why we always have an invitation before the Lord's Supper because we have to prepare ourselves for it. So make sure that you use these next few moments wisely. Okay? All right, let's stand. And then we'll finish when we're done. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that we can come into this moment and we can celebrate your table. We give you praise today for all that you've accomplished. Help us to realize that, to repent of any known sin, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us the mystery of history, God. Thank you. We celebrate this news that we receive from you, Lord. There are some of your sons and daughters in this room are hurting, falling back into the deception that they're unworthy or unlovable, that their failures have separated them from these glorious truths, Lord. That's not true. This very moment is a reminder that repentance is our ongoing gift that you give to always, always walk in fellowship with you. Not because of us or our performance, but because of Christ. Because we looked out the window and we saw that before the foundation of the world, you chose us. So it couldn't be based on our performance. So we thank you for that. We respond with gratitude for the gift that you love us and you want closeness, you want fellowship with us. So we come to you as a loving daddy. Thank you. Thank you. For anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, give them courage in this moment to cry out to you, to repent of their sin, and to ask you to save them. And we want to celebrate that, that opportunity. Thank you. So we take these moments seriously and we commend them over to your good hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The altar's open. I invite you to come.
I'm here. The other pastors are going to be up front. If you, if you need to make a decision for the Lord, we'd love to pray with you, encourage you. I just encourage you to make sure that you prepare yourself for this time. seated. I'll ask the men to uncover the tables, please. So the Bible teaches that the remembrance that we're about to celebrate is open to all Christians. So any person, man, woman, or child who has trusted the Lord Jesus as Savior is welcome to the table. And if you're here with us this morning and you're a guest and maybe you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, then uh, we're super glad you're here, and we would just say, uh, just uh, sit and relax during this time, and maybe ask God to show you some things that uh, He hasn't yet shown you. But 
These uh, pieces of bread that are going to be placed in your hand, they represent the body of Jesus. This cup containing juice, it represents the blood of Jesus. And this all uh, comes from the Passover supper that Jesus transformed in Matthew 26. When he was eating, he took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took up the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it. All of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit or vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's what we're about to celebrate. So here's what I ask you to do. When you're ready, you just sit there and, and meditate. And when you're ready... You can just make your way to one of the aisles. You can come down. These men who love you and pray for you and have prepared for this moment with you will hand you these elements. If you want to kneel at the altar, that's fine. Or you just take the elements and then uh, return back to your seat. If you, if you would, go out the side door and come around if it's crowded in your aisle so we don't have a collision going on there. But um, either way, we just want you to take your time. And if you're, if you're unable, if you don't feel confident walking down here or that's too far, that's no problem. You stay where you are and just put your hand in the air when you're ready. And someone will bring you the elements from the back, okay? So let us serve you. That's fine. If you, if you don't feel comfortable walking down here, then we will serve you. You just sit right there in your seat, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, this celebration, for what this means. We thank you for your body given for us, your blood shed for us. And we pray, Lord, that in this time, what you intend to happen will happen, that we will be reminded of the price that you paid and all that you've accomplished and what that means for us, and that it would call us to a greater awareness of you and your perfect work and your redemptive process that's working in every situation around us in every moment of every day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a good God you are. We love you. In Jesus' name. Although we're born into a world of struggle, as we peer out the window and we see this new reality, there's peace that outlasts darkness. The realization of the price that was paid for our redemption awakens us to hope it's in the blood. And because it wasn't just forgiveness of sin that we received, but it was adoption into God's family that comes with full inheritance of which we've already received the down payment of so that we may know that there's future grace that's mine today. So today we've received the news. Amen. The mystery of history has been revealed 
and we know no matter what happens, no matter how bleak the day may look, the one thing we absolutely positively know for sure that Jesus Christ has won. Amen. We're going to sing a song together and then you're dismissed. God bless you.